I'm glad you could be with us today. Welcome. Perhaps you'd like to let others know that you're watching, so feel free to share. We're glad to have you do that and kind of have a watch party if you're on Facebook or to let others know. We're delighted that you could be here. We're going to be here every Saturday at 11 a.m. Eastern time. So feel free to join us. Or if you miss that, it's not convenient, we'll, we'll be on Facebook. We also will be on YouTube so you can catch up. So we're delighted you could be with us today. This morning, I wanted you to please open your Bibles to Malachi chapter 4, verse 5. If you don't have it, go grab your Bible. It might be interesting for you to follow along with this because it's a most fascinating text. Malachi 4, verse 5, and it is the Lord speaking at the very end of Malachi, and he is saying to them, See, I will send the prophet Elijah to you before the great and dreadful day of the Lord. I will send my prophet Elijah to you before the great and dreadful day of the Lord comes. Before that happens, I will send Elijah. Now, this is at the very end of the Old Testament. It's the last of the prophets. It's considered a minor prophet, but it's the last one that we know is written. And it was right now, about 400 years or 450 years before Christ. But this was many years since Elijah had been taken up into heaven. And certainly long after his protege, Elisha, had passed away. But here is the Lord saying to us, making this comment to us, saying, see, I will send the prophet Elijah to you. Send the prophet Elijah to you before the great and dreadful day of the Lord comes. Well, many of you, when we say the word Elijah, immediately think of the experience, the big experience, although there were several that are recorded in the Bible. In 1 Kings, you can look and see. But this particular story that I think relates to 1 Corinthians, excuse me, 1 Kings chapter 18, and where there's the story of Mount Carmel. Ahab was, King Ahab was on the throne. He was wicked. Jezebel was, was promoting the uh, worship of Baal. She had 450 prophets that were out. And so the Lord had sent a drought. And now the drought was ending. And he asked uh, Elijah to go in before the king and call everybody up on the Mount Carmel. You can go to Mount Carmel today. You can see over, you can look out over the Mediterranean Sea. It's just up from Haifa. And it's a beautiful view. I've been there several times up on Mount Carmel. And so up on Mount Carmel, he called everybody to come up. And it was a high view. You could see for miles around on top of Mount Carmel. He called up and asked him to build an altar, two altars, one to Baal, one to the Lord. And if you remember the story, they worked all day, the prophets of Baal, to try to get, try to get uh, him to answer by fire. But at the end of the day, Elisha pulled together 12 stones, one for each of the 12 tribes. He assembled the altar. He had water poured out. And I think to get water, they had to go some distance to get water to the top of that mountain. They poured water all over it, had a trench dug around it. And then Elijah prayed. And down came fire from him and scorched it and burned it. Even the stones and everything and lapped up the water. And a great answer to that question that he had raised with them. So when we see that phrase, I will send the prophet Elijah to you before the great and terrible day or the dreadful day of the Lord has come. 
it spurs up in us some thinking of those of us who are familiar with the Bible a little bit. That's not the only place we find that kind, that kind of a uh, phrasing. In Joel chapter 2, which little Joel book, another one of the minor prophets ahead of Malachi, but not by much. A little prophet Joel said so much. There was so much in Joel's writing. And in chapter 2, verse 31, he said, The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great, there it is, the great and dreadful day of the Lord. Before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. The exact phrasing that we found in Malachi. That before that happens, the sun would be turned dark and the moon would turn to blood. Well, some might conclude, are we talking about the great and dreadful day of the Lord, meaning the day of the crucifixion? Could it be that? Well, Bible scholars tend to say, no, it probably wasn't that. Probably looking at something different. Because we find in Revelation 6, verse 12, when it's dealing with the sixth seal, looking down towards the end of the world, that it mentions again, we have the great earthquake. We have the sun turned black, like we found in Joel 2. Moon turned to blood. We also find the stars fall from the sky. Well, Bible scholars, as they were coming and going through the 17 and 1800s, they were able to see those events took place from the great Lisbon earthquake until 1833 when the stars fell from heaven. It was an amazing, amazing meteorite shower. And it looked like it was raining. The stars were falling so much. So we tend to think, we tend to look at that, at those passages. We tend to see and comment about those, that the great and dreadful day of the Lord would be the appearance of Christ at the second coming. Well, some say, well, I'm looking forward to Jesus to come. Well, of course, if you're welcoming Jesus and you want Jesus to come, great. So you would say, yes, Lord, hasten your coming. And say, this is our Lord. We welcome him. But others would say, let the rocks fall on me. I don't want to see the Lord. I don't want to have this day because it's a day of division. So the thinking is that this reference made here in Malachi 4 verse 5, refers to the second coming, the coming at the end of the world, when I will send my prophet Elijah to you. Well, that, that phrasing, that thing about looking for the prophet Elijah again, is interesting that when Jesus in Matthew 16, if you happen to turn there, Matthew 16 is a very well-known passage to many of us, but in Matthew 16, Jesus is taking his disciples aside. He takes them up in Northern Galilee and he takes them up to a place called Caesarea Philippi. Caesarea Philippi is the beginning of the flow of the Jordan River. From there on, the river flows down to the Jordan River and on to the Dead Sea. So when Jesus came into that region of Caesarea Philippi, excuse me, when he came into that region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked those disciples, he asked them, who do men say that I am? Who do men say that I am? Well, they uh, replied, well, some say John the Baptist. Well, that's an interesting reply because John the Baptist had already been beheaded by this time. So to have them say John the Baptist, they weren't really saying that he was John the Baptist, 
but that he had a message or something similar to John the Baptist. And some say, well, maybe he's carrying on the ministry of John the Baptist. They continue to say, some say, the others say that you are Elijah, and still others, Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. Look at that. Some others say you are Elijah. Elijah. You see, the disciples were always interested to try to query from Jesus when the end of the world would come. They want to know what events are going to happen. In fact, you can read about that in Matthew 24, where they ask the questions, when will this happen? When will all these things take place? Looking for Jesus. But the whole Jewish community was looking for the Messiah to come. They felt it was ripe. They felt it was time. And so they were looking for these signs, these appearances. John the Baptist, wow, that was something down in the river. That got their attention. But they were also wondering, is this Elijah? Is this Elijah? Because they knew very well, Malachi 4, verse 5, I will send the prophet Elijah to you. I will send him. And we might ask, why? Why would the Lord send Elijah again? We're not talking about the Jews didn't believe in reincarnation. We're not talking about the actual Elijah in heaven coming down and coming again. There's, there's some, other, some other thing here. And so why would the Lord send Elijah? What, what is the meaning of that? And what was it about Elijah's preaching that was, that was so powerful? What was the message that it was? What was the message of Elijah that he called upon that day? We think that that message that he was sharing with people was the same of his entire life, and that that message was just reinforced up on Mount Carmel. Well, if you, uh, if you look there, the message that he said, the message that he shared with them that day was, if the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal is God, follow him. He said, why do you halt between two opinions? The beginning of that verse said, if the Lord is God, follow him. If Baal is God, follow him. So what Elijah was offering, what Elijah was saying to them was a clear call to make a choice, to choose whether you want to follow after Baal or whether you want to follow after God. Choose, choose who you will follow. Choose who you are going to choose to stay, who you will follow. It's a choice that still comes to us today. Who will you follow? In Joshua 24, which was at the very time after Moses had died, and the children of Israel had just gone into the promised land, their leader was Joshua. And in Joshua 24, that same theme, that same idea that Elijah had that was picked up and put through the whole of the Old Testament was spoken of in Joshua 24. In Joshua 24, verse 15, but if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, and they already were bucking at it, then choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve 
Whether the gods of your ancestors served beyond the Euphrates, when they worshipped idols, or the gods of the Amorites, in whose land you are now living. But as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. We will serve the Lord. He had made a choice, Joshua. He made a choice what he was going to do. He and his household, they were going to serve the Lord. If you want to go worship all these other things, that's fine. You can go do that. But in my household, we are going to serve the Lord. So looking for that to be the dreadful day of the cross, which certainly was dreadful. We didn't have the moon turned to blood. We didn't. Have, yes, it was a dark day because the clouds came over. There was lightning. There was, there was an earthquake. So similar, but not like it points towards the end of the world. In a Revelation 12, 7, we read about that experience that it being the end of the world. You can look that up for yourself. So just before Jesus returns, the focus seems to be in Malachi 4, verse 5, to say just before the Lord returns, just before that comes at that time, there is another, another time for choosing. Really? Well, pastor... Nobody is going to be choosing to worship Baal in this day and age. Well, I've been surprised how many of uh, some people, some radical people um, who, are, who are going out and going back to these old gods and worshiping these old gods of stone. I'm just stunned about it. Thinking people, you think educated people. But I don't think that's really, really what the concern would be. I don't think the majority would say, yeah, we're going to go back and worship Baal like they did thousands of years ago. But another day of choosing. Should we be looking for someone preaching Elijah's message again? Well, I suppose that would open the door for a lot of people to say, well, I've got the message. I've got the deal. I've got the truth. And come follow me. And we have people doing that. We have people who are doing that. And many of them are not reputable. They sound spiritual. They sound great. I was thinking of David Koresh and his experience in Waco. If you remember that story of what happened there. Oh, he had a large following of people who came and thought, oh, he's certainly a prophet. And he's preaching the truth. Well, he wasn't, was he? Sounded right, but it wasn't. So if we're looking for someone to be preaching Elijah's message again, what is that message? What is that message that Elijah had? What is that message that he was sharing with them? Well, if we were to transport ourselves back to his time, his message was still, is the Lord, if the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal is God, follow him. If the Lord is God, you have to decide for yourself. If the Lord is God, then you follow him. If it's something else, and we can put anything else in there, any other thing. If that's your God, if that's what you want to do, if that's who you want to follow, then follow him. 
Follow it. But the call comes to be, choose who you will follow. Who you will follow. That clarion call comes from, from the end of Malachi, which Jesus asked, who do people say that? Well, some say you're Elijah who are making that call. They didn't really see at that moment that Christ was far more than Elijah. For Jesus said, take up your cross and follow me. He extended that invitation to them to constantly come and follow him. But looking at the end of time now, we're looking down on our day. And Elijah, a 21st century prophet, as it were, proclaiming something new, a message, a message for them and choosing that who is going to give that message? Who will give that message? Well, I would suggest to you that those who know what it means to truly follow the Lord are the ones who will give that message. Those who truly know, those who truly follow, will know what that message is, and they will share that message. Next week, I'd like to focus a little more on what that message entails, because it could be very open to interpretation, but I think the Bible gives us some very solid leads on what that message may be. I want to share with you a statement that came from William Barclay. William Barclay is a great Bible scholar. He's written many, uh, many things in a Bible professor and teacher. And he wrote this and shared this uh, little piece. Is it possible to be a follower of Jesus without being a disciple? Is it possible to be a camp follower without being a soldier of the king? How about to be a hanger-on on some great work without pulling one's weight? We would say it's possible. Once someone was talking to a great scholar about a young man. He said, so-and-so tells me that he was once one of your students. The teacher answered devastatingly, he may have attended my lectures, but he was not one of my students. There is a world of difference between being attending lectures and being a student. It is one of the supreme handicaps of the church that in the church, there are so many distant followers of Jesus and so few real disciples. I found that rather, rather stunning, and that is true. Following at a distance, Jesus had people who followed at a distance. But I believe that in this time, where we are now, and what's happening in our world, that perhaps it's a time for people, a group of people, you and me, to share the great Elijah message of calling people to choose. Do you wish to follow God or not? 
going to follow something else, or are you going to follow God? Would you think about that? And what your role may be? And how you can help? Calling people. Today, why do you halt between two opinions, Elijah said. If God be God, follow him. If Baal, then follow him. Dear Lord, I thank you for the message that Elijah gave. He stood bravely on Mount Carmel. He was all alone. There were people there that wanted to cut his throat, slaughter him, burn him. But he stood for you, and he called the people in a loud voice to choose, to make a choice in their hearts. And when they saw the hand of God, Come down with power and authority. They said, we are going to follow the Lord. It was a turning point when they saw that Baal was worthless and there was only one Lord, one God. If that day is coming for us, Lord, may we see that day and may we be part of helping people to choose this day, whom they will follow. Help us in that regard as we, as we look to others in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. We'll see you next time.